Okay. So let me make a couple of connections for you guys so that you understand. Um, Church is a really interesting thing because typically when you come to church, you just sit and you just listen. But in truth, you don't learn best just by sitting and listening. That's one of the reasons that we ask you to stay a man. And so today, there are going to be a couple times where I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to move. I'm doing that because I'm trying to get what we're teaching actually into your heart at something that you can recall later. Okay? So I'm going to need you guys to participate with that this morning. All right? So I'm going to talk to you about from the subject called Matters of the Heart. And um, I want to talk to you about how your heart impacts every area of your life. And um, it's so important for you to realize that when I'm referring to your heart, I am talking about your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, and your imagination. So I'm talking about your soul. When we're talking about matters of the heart, we are talking about how your soul is impacting your life. Now, for those of you who weren't here, we did a recap about how man is a three-part being. He is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body, right? When you accepted Jesus as your personal savior, your spirit is completely sealed forever. You are saved. It is a done work. The problem is, is that now your soul has to be transformed. And so most of the work that we do in church and in your personal life, it should be designed to deal with your thinking so that your thinking agrees with God. Amen. When um, we were growing uh, in Edwin's old church, they used to say the Bible is right and somebody's wrong, okay? So if you're not thinking like the Word says you're thinking, I don't care how long you've thought that way, you're wrong. And the Bible is right, and you're never going to get what God says you can have with wrong thinking. And then the other part of your is your body. How many of you know that your body is going to do whatever the strongest part of you tells it to do? Has anybody ever tried to fast before? And like... Has anybody, is anybody the type of person who misses breakfast sometimes and you typically don't eat to lunch or something? If you are, raise your hand if you're one of those people. Have you noticed that that's very different from fasting? Have you noticed that when you decide, you, you can go and not eat to lunch and you don't even get hungry to lunch, but if you fast, when you wake up at 6.30, you wake up hungry? Like you wake, anybody else? Yes, yes. Why? Because here it is, your soul is saying, wait a minute. You don't have the right to take food from us, especially not for a spiritual purpose. You can't take food from us, right? And so you have a spirit. You are a spirit. Your spirit is completely saved. Your spirit is dealt with. Your spirit doesn't have issues. Your spirit doesn't fight with God. All the fight in you comes in your soul, which is your heart, which is composed of what? What are the parts that we told you? Your soul is your mind. And intellect, right? You should know that. that. That's the part of you that we meet. We meet your soul. That's how we know whether you're funny. That's how we know whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, your soul. So we're talking about how important it is for you to deal with your soul so that you can experience what God um, has for you. Um, there are a lot of people in their life who neglect their soul. They never dig deep and they never learn how the things that they think impact their life. And so you're doing things, but you don't know why you're doing them. So we have a really specific goal today. And the goal is to help you identify one thing in your life that God wants you to change. And then let's develop a plan to change it. All right. All right. You, you got to say something. Okay. All right. I believe that it is so important for us to deal with our soul because Jeremiah 29, he's going to pull it up. Jeremiah 29 and 11. I think he's going to pull it up. We hope he's going to. All right. No, that's not Jeremiah 29 11. That's Ephesians. Jeremiah 29 11. It says, for I know the thing towards you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. This word peace, whenever you see it in the Bible, it means nothing missing, nothing broken. So it says that God's thoughts for you is that you would have a life with nothing missing, nothing broken. Say so it's the will of God for me to be whole in every area of my life. He says the thoughts that come to you, the things that happen to you that are evil, who do they not come from? They don't come from God. It says because God wants you to have a life of peace, and he wants you to have a future and a hope. Amen. God wants you to stay full of hope because you know that his plans for you are good. Amen. Our next scripture that we're going to look at is 2 Peter 1 and 3. 2 Peter 1 and 3. 
Why is it so important that we look at the word? Because we don't know what we should think apart from the word. How many of you know that you can think a lot of stuff that's wrong? Yes? How many of you have passionately believed some stuff that's wrong? Pa I mean, you passionately believe it's wrong. And, and it's just absolutely wrong, right? So it says, as his divine power has given to us, what does that word right there say? What, what did he say? He's given us what things? All things that pertain to what? All right, so it says God has not withheld anything you need to live. God has not withheld anything you need to live. Say that, say God has not withheld anything I need to live. And it says, but then it tells you how we get it. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. That word virtue means power. So it says that there's going to be some power that's going to come to your life when you realize that when you accepted Jesus, that he gave you everything you needed to live in victory. Say, I am not called to live defeated. I'm not called to live defeated because God gave me everything I need to live in victory. Amen. Is this making sense to you guys? And then third, John. It says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in what? There's that word again. So does it look like that God wants you to have a life where you're prosperous in your marriage, but you hate your job? Does God want you to love your job, hate your house? Does God want you to have a lot of money and be unhealthy? What's the will of God? He wants you to prosper in what? So if there's an area of your life that doesn't look like this, it's not God. What's happened is, is that because you didn't know that he came to deal with all, you have been content with some. And we want to move from this place of living content with some and going for all. Right? I mean, let's be real. If I offered you a million dollars, who would just take 500000 who just be like, that's okay, I don't need the rest, right? Everybody wants it all, right? These promises all belong to you. Take them all. Take them all. Amen. So then let's go to John 10 and 10. Think about this. Everything that God has prepared for you already belongs to you. But the question is whether you're going to actually access it or whether it's going to stay in escrow. If you've ever bought a house or anything, you know what escrow is, right? It's some money, but you can't touch it. You understand? God is not designed for you to live with an account of blessings on your name with your name on it, but you can't pull it down because it's in escrow. God wants you to receive the best that he has for you. John 10 and 10, it says the thief does not come. It tells you the only reason that the devil ever shows up in your life, he comes, this is the only reason he ever comes. He comes to steal, to kill. And to destroy. So if you look in your life and you see anything, anything that's been stolen, the devil did it. If you see anything that's been destroyed, the devil did it. Did it. If you see any dreams that have been killed, the devil did it. God didn't do it. God doesn't kill your grandmama so you can come to Jesus. That's not what God does. God doesn't take people home to heaven because he needs angels. He already has angels. When people go to heaven, they don't become angels. They are people in heaven. So God is not going around killing and destroying to get you to live right. Destruction comes from the enemy. But here's the problem. If you think that when bad shows up in your life, it came from God, you'll just accept it. Here's how I know that people really don't believe that sickness comes from, the, from God. Because if you really believe sickness came from God, you wouldn't take medicine. You just suffer it. It came from God, right? He wanted to teach you something. Take the pain. Suck it up like a champ. Don't take medicine and then say God gave it to you. That don't even make sense, right? So you have to deal with your thinking about these things because if you don't deal with your thinking, you can't live in victory over those things. Amen. So we're looking at the Bible and it says, Jesus came, let's finish John 10, that we might have what? life and have it how abundantly God is not into his people living raggedy lives barely making it lives you're not called to a barely make it life 
You're called to a life that overflows. Why do you need an overflow of money? Let me ask you this. If I'm hungry and you just got $12, what we going to do? You probably going to leave me hungry. <laughs> you probably going to leave me hungry. You need to live in the overflow to be a blessing. If you just barely got enough peace, who you going to counsel? So here's what happened. You barely had enough peace, and then you counsel somebody who was depressed. Now they okay, and you depressed. You're supposed to be living in the overflow. You don't barely need enough wisdom. You need overflowing wisdom. He came that you might have life and have it till it overflows. All right. How many of you want to live the abundant life that God has for you? Amen. Amen. Let me tell you this. I'm not teaching this because I'm perfect. I am teaching this because over the last 15 years, I've watched God change my life with these principles. I've watched that if I deal with my thinking, how God can change my life. These are the strategies that God taught Edwin and I to change our marriage and every other area of our life that has ever need to be changed. We've used these principles of dealing with our thinking. And once we deal with our thinking, we can change our lives. Let me help you. You can never live above your thinking. You can never live above your thinking. I'll give you a good example. If you think you're supposed to live paycheck to paycheck, it doesn't matter how much money you make. Whether you make $20,000 or $120,000, you're going to find a way to get back to paycheck to paycheck because your soul doesn't you should have money in your account when you, on the day you get paid. You'll spend your whole life every Thursday before that payday. Wondering if that last debit transaction can go through. It's not the money, it's your soul. If you really want love, but you're afraid of love, here's what you'll always do. You'll always attract people who really can't love you. And if somebody who really could love you shows up, you'll run them off. Because you don't believe that you can't live beyond your soul. So you have to deal with your soul. And then you become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you assign to God. Say, well, it must not be the will of God for me to have no more money. No, your soul won't let you have more money. It must not be the will of God for me to have love. Even though the Bible says it's not good for man should be alone. But you're the only one in the world that shouldn't have love. Because of this thing in your soul that keeps attaching you there. Does that make sense? Life is 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. In other words, how we think dictates how we live. John, 3rd John has already told us that God wants us to prosper. John 10 and 10 has already told us that God wants us to live the abundant life. The question becomes, are, is our soul positioned to receive what God has for us? Is our soul positioned to receive what God has for us? This is the end of the year. This is the time when you reflect on what went well in 2014 and what you want to change in 2015, right? This is the time of year that people are making resolutions. Do you know why most people don't live out their resolutions? Their soul can't handle where they're trying to go. They haven't fixed their soul for their next level. Their soul work for the next level. That's why the Bible says, I want you to prosper, but you can't prosper beyond your soul. So let's do the soul work. Amen. You cannot live a prosperous life with a jacked up soul. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why is this important? You can locate your soul by what comes out of your mouth. You want to know where your soul is related to money? Pay attention to what you say about money. You want to know what your soul relates about love, about healing, about any area of your life? All you have to do is pay attention to what you say, especially in pressure. Do you know everybody can say the right thing? Do you know how easy it is to say the right thing to this man when he don't do anything to irritate me? <laughs> do you know how easy that is? Oh, I love you so much. You're so wonderful. I'm so glad we married. Oh, my God. And then he does that thing, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Why did I marry him? But what comes out of my mouth is going to determine the quality of my life. Think about it like this. Do you know that nobody... Forget marriage. Do you know that nobody breaks up suddenly? You have never broken up with anybody suddenly. You always break up in your mind first. You break up in your mind first. Now, it may seem like suddenly to them, but it was not suddenly to you. In your mind, you started saying, I don't have to take this. He got one more time, just one more time. One more time he go do this. 
And then, and then, and, and, and I'm gone. And then you showed up to the party with your new boyfriend. He was confused. He didn't even know what happened. He like, what happened? You like, oh yeah, I broke up with you last month. It just took me a moment to tell you. You don't live beyond your thinking. Amen. So let's talk about, let's look at John 8 and 32. The Bible says in John 8 and 32, 8 and 32 is this making sense to you guys? You understand? Because I want you to be able to locate yourself. I want you to pay attention to what you're saying in pressure, not what you're saying in good times. Pay attention to what you say when the pressure's on you. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, so this word know right here, we use this a lot in our house. Because you know, like when you're talking to your kids and you start talking to them, and they go, I know, I know, I know. And we say, we know what you know based on what you do. This word, no, it means to be intimately acquainted with in the sense of intercourse, not in the sense of being able to regurgitate something. So the challenge for a lot of people, especially people who've gone to church a lot, you think that because you know the scripture, you know the scripture. But you only know it when you live it. And so he says that the truth shall make you free. Well, there are a lot of people who can quote John 3.16, but they've never accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. So they know it, but they don't know it. These words about you living your best life and your soul being whole, they have to be words that you know, not words that you just know. In order to do that, you have to be a person that doesn't despise repetitive teaching. Most people hate repetitive teaching. Most people, you know what's interesting though? Most people dislike repetitive teaching, but you have movies you'll watch over and over again. You'll watch those movies over and over again. Listen, Pastor Elwin's favorite movie, he has watched it so much, I absolutely hate it. It is Boys in the Hood. I say to him every time, I say to him every time, I say, you do know Ricky go die. Ricky go die. He say to me every time, not this time, Ricky not go die. No, baby, every time, Ricky go die. He has watched the movie so much, I cannot watch it with him because he quotes the movie. He gets into the parts. He can say the, he sound like the people. And every time Ricky dies, he goes, no! He is intimately acquainted with boys in the hood. But what happens to you when you hear word again? What happens to you when you hear it again? Do you fade to black? Do you pick up your phone, start texting people? Or do you stay engaged and say, what can I glean from this that I didn't glean the last time? So the truth we know shall make us free. I want to talk about two types of truth, though. In Psalms 51, it says that God desires truth in your inward parts. So the challenge for a lot of people is that you're trying to take a word from God. And you're trying to replace it without first acknowledging your own truth. So it looks like this. You want to be in love. God, I want to be in love. God, I want to be married. People prophesy to you, you're going to get married. It's the will of God for you to be in love. But in your heart, you don't really believe you deserve love. So because you don't really believe you deserve love, you keep attracting people who are incapable of giving you love. And so then you're praying for something. You know that it is the truth of God because God has said it, but you have a competing belief in your soul that sabotages what God said. How is your soul sabotaging what God said? Sometimes, and I know it's hard, you just got to admit the truth of it is I haven't seen a healthy relationship I don't know if I believe love is me. For me, God can do something with that. He can help you with that. I don't know if our marriage can really work. He can do something with that. I don't know if I can really be wealthy and not live paycheck to paycheck. He could do something with that. But as long as you try to pour the word on top of what you haven't dealt with, you won't make any progress. And in fact, in James, it says it like this. It says, now you are a double-minded man who are, is unstable in all your ways, and that's why you can't receive from God. 
So you got to deal with your soul, your competing beliefs. And everybody has competing beliefs. Where did you get competing beliefs from? Your experiences. What you saw growing up. Things that hurt you, things that injured you, they become your competing beliefs. So now when God says, here's what I want to do in your life, what you want to tell God is all the reasons why it can't work. Anybody ever done that? Yes, anybody ever told God all the reasons it couldn't work like this was God's first rodeo? Like the first time he showed up in your life, it was his first time he ever had a plan? So you got to deal with your competing beliefs. Well, how do I know what competing my, my competing beliefs are? Most people don't think about what, how they think. Most people don't. Now, I don't know what men do in their group, but here's what I know women do. This is what women do. I call Chris because Kenosha did something that we don't understand. And we spent 45 minutes talking about why Kenosha did what she did. We trying to dissect Kenosha's behavior pattern. Even if we could come up with why Kenosha did what she did, it don't help us. <laughs> now go ahead and tell the truth if you've ever called somebody to talk about why somebody else did what they did. Go ahead and raise your hand, just tell the truth. Or you ever saw somebody say, I don't, I don't know why they, maybe you, me and you didn't call nobody, but you talked about why somebody did what they did. The problem is, is that you have spent 45 minutes dissecting what you cannot change when the question you ought to be asking yourself is, why am I impacted by what they did? This is it's not about why she did what she did. It's why do I feel the way I feel about what she did? But if I spend all my time thinking about her thinking, I don't have to deal with my own thinking. So if you're going to deal and get to your truth, you got to be willing to deal with how you think about stuff. And let me tell you something. Some of the stuff you find going to be ugly. Some of the stuff you find in there is ugly. You're going to find out that you thought you weren't jealous, but you got some jealousy running around in there. And you thought that you weren't, could never be passive aggressive, but it's oozing all over you. It's, everybody know you passive aggressive, but you, everybody knows. You think you aggressive aggressive. You not, you passive aggressive. <laughs> so you got to think about your thinking and you got to take your thinking to God. Why does this make me angry? Why does this put me in a state of depression? Why do I feel like a failure? Why am I struggling? Why can't I have any good relationships? Why is it every time I pray for a job, I get the job and then I'm miserable? Them, you, you guys are my favorite saints. Y'all look for a job, y'all is blowing my phone up. Pastor Sean, can you agree with me? I want you to believe God with me. I believe God, this is my job. I know the Lord want me in this place. This is where I'm supposed to be. 90 days later, you like the devil is here. I need you to get me out of here. You mad at me because I agree with you. But maybe the question you should ask yourself is, why is that every time you get a promotion, you are unhappy? What is the lesson that you're supposed to learn in this place? Because if you keep showing up in places that you shouldn't be, maybe your picker's broke. Maybe you keep picking jobs based on what it looks like instead of what God said. Well, would God give me something that I don't want? He would. He told Israel they didn't want a king. He said it to them over and over again. You don't want a king. I'm a good king. I'm not going to take. The people kept saying, give me a king. Give me a king. So he said, well, I'm going to try to give you the best king I can. And then it was like, we don't want a king. It's like, it's too late. Years with a king. So what's going in your own, in your soul, that causes you to live like that? Does that make sense? All right. So here we're going to go. The truth will make us free. We got to deal with something. Um, our experiences, they can leave negative joke behind, junk behind in us. But what I want to ch challenge you something. Um, can anybody think of an experience in your life that's impacted you in a negative way? Yes? Raise your hand. That'll get your body moving. If you can think of an experience that has impacted you in a negative way. What if I told you that it wasn't really the experience that impacted you negatively? It was what you thought about it. It's not really the experience that impacted you in a negative way. 
There are two people who can be in the exact same situation and they walk out with two stories. You can take two kids, they grow up in a dysfunctional family, one of them goes on and mimics exactly what they saw and another one creates a different life. Why? Because it's not the experience, it's the meaning that you give to the experience. We see it all the time in church. Have you ever been in church by somebody, you got a word that changed your life, they were asleep? You're like, how do you not know what happened here? It's not the experience, it's what you assign to the experience. It's the meaning you are assigning to your experiences. So now if you think about something that happened to you that's negative in your life, what if instead of you thinking about the negativity that came from it, you looked for the gift that actually came in it? Let me, ladies, you remember when you was crying and you was saying to the Lord, please don't let him leave? You asked the Lord to please let him stay? You remember? I, I don't, I don't know. You know, you, you know when you was down on your face and you was fasting, you just asking the Lord to let him stay? Not everybody, but some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You was crying, asking the Lord to let him stay. But if he didn't let him stay, you wouldn't have what you have now. So maybe what you see as negative was really a gift. And what if it's all about the meaning that you assign to it? And what if when stuff happened in your life, you showed up and you said, okay, God, what should I learn from this? How is this supposed to grow me? How is this supposed to challenge me? How is this supposed to make me better instead of, woe is me, look what happened to me again? Because if you really believe that all things that work together for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, you got to believe that even in negativity, God has something that's working for your good. If you really believe that, if you really believe that. Here's what we're going to do because we want to get into the work part of it. So I want you to think about how many of you like can just know, you just honest, you'd be like, here's some stuff in my heart we probably need to deal with. Lift your hand, lift your hand, uh-huh. Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to close their eyes, and I want you to ask God. Like, when I say everybody close their eyes, that means everybody. Like, <laughs> that means, like, if you in the room, your eyes should be closed. Don't make me call your name if you in the room. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not that difficult to follow instructions. If you're in the room, if you are in this room and your eyes close, please close them. If they close, please. Some of you not used to closing your eyes. Put your hand over your face so I can't see your eyes at least, okay? You got to learn how to follow instructions, people. Now, I just want you to ask the Lord, because some of you can think of lots of things you need to work on. Some of you can't think of any things you need to work on. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what's an area of my life that you'd like me to grow in right now? What's the, he said basketball. The Lord told me he should grow in basketball. <laughs> Amen. Growing basketball, baby. What's an area of your life that you need to grow in? So I mean, like, I'm not really sure if I hear the Lord speak. What came to your mind? If it's an area that it would make you better to grow in. And when you have that area, I want you to stand to your feet. When you're like, this is an area I need to work in. This is an area that I need to grow in. Oh, you can open your eyes when you stand up. <laughs> good question, good question. Now I want you to look around the room and see everybody else who's standing. And we may not all be growing in the same thing, but we're all on a journey together. So why don't you give each other a hand? We all have growing to do. We take the journey together. Because we don't want to be people who are ashamed to admit that we need to deal with something and so we don't deal with it and what you don't deal with today destroys you next year. Let's just deal with it, all right? Okay, sit down. You should write it down somewhere, this thing that you need to work on. Now we're going to talk about how we actually change. How we actually change. So now you got this area that you need to work on. So people only change for two reasons. It's only two reasons people change. Just write this down so you remember this because you can always locate yourself. People change for desperation and people change for inspiration. You only change for two reasons. You change for desperation because you gotta change. If you don't change, that's the end. Some of you, that's the only reason that you've changed things in your life. You had to change. If you didn't change, that was it.
And then the other reason that people change is inspiration. Now, some of you are in this room right now, and you have situations that if you don't change, it's going to bring destruction to your life. You already know it. The question becomes, are you desperate enough to change? If you're not desperate enough to change, can you be so inspired by what could happen that you could change? Now, there are some people who don't change their marriage until they have to. You don't change it until you have to. Now, the problem with the people who only change their marriage because they had to is that when their, parent, their marriage gets to a good state, they don't change it now because they get, they get to. And so what happens is you get stuck and your marriage isn't growing. You're not, you're not fighting, but you're not working on making it better. And so some of you if, you, if you grew up in a small town, raise your hand. Or if you grew up in one of them towns that you had to get out of. Yeah, one of them towns you had to get out of. Here's the danger with growing up in a town that you had to get out of. Once you get, get out of, you don't push for anything else. You knew you had to get out of where you got out of. But once you get out and you live better than most of the people you know, you're not hungry for more. But the standard in your life is not if it's better than everybody else. It's what did God say was capable in your life. And so some of you have built a, t a house where you only should have had a tent. It was just a temporary place for you because you didn't get inspired to get beyond. You were desperate to leave, but now you aren't inspired to move. Now, the interesting thing is that it's actually easier to work with desperate people because desperate people know they're desperate. Listen, we can always tell when we counsel somebody who's desperate in their marriage. Desperate people do not argue with us. We can say, listen, if you want to be happy in the morning when you get up, you need to do um, 25 jumping jacks and you need to uh, do 13 jump ropes. They wouldn't even ask you why 13, why odd number. They would just do it and they'd be like, and you need to kiss each other twice, high five, and run out the room. They would do it. Why? Because they are desperate. It's content, mediocre people who don't take instruction. It's mediocre people who don't take instruction. So... Do you have a motive to change? Now, because I'm trying to teach you about psychology so you can learn how to move yourself, okay? Because the Bible says you can't be transformed unless you're transformed, right? Well, you can't be transformed if you don't know what motivates you, right? So most people do not change because they associate more pain with change than they do with staying the same. Whenever you want to know why somebody stays in an average, mediocre, or even a bad situation, it's because they have associated more pain with changing than they have with staying the same. Okay, let's use an example, everybody. Does everybody in here know that you should work out? Raise your hand if you know you should work out. You know you should work out. Um... There are at least two people in this room, three people in this room that I know because I know them personally, that they have found a way to find pleasure in working out. Those people find pleasure. If you ever, my kids, they point to said, they, my kids like said, J Jimmy, not Angel, <laughs> not Angel. <laughs> and Carrie. Care, like Carrie have a baby and in like six weeks she'd be like I'm like my kid is six I'm still trying to work out like, like, like don't your stomach still hurt like aren't you still tired alright so can I get you guys to stand up I want to put you on the spot because I want to show you the difference between mindset okay those you like to work out stand up you, you've actually found pleasure in working out Though you people find pleasure in working out. No, no. I was girl, oh, the devil is a lie. I wasn't going to let you get away with that today. Because I want people to see the difference in mindset. It's not ability. It's mindset. There is a mindset. So I just want you really quickly to tell me why you work out in a sense or less. Why, you why do you work out? Let's start in the back. It makes me look good. Makes me feel good. 
It relaxes you. Huh. Never felt that. Go ahead. <laughs> Never felt that. Never felt that. Jimmy. Hmm? It's when he's closest to God. He is closest to God working out. Now, do you see the difference in that mindset? God visits me when I lay down. <laughs> he visits me when I lay down. <laughs> Brian. He likes to get stronger. Say it. It gives me peace. I play better when I'm in shape. You test your limits. You can do what? He can work better at work. All right, have a seat. Now, those of you who don't work out consistently, I guarantee you that's not the stuff you think about working out. You think what I think about working out. Listen, Carrie said, Carrie said, I work out because it makes me look good. I say, well, if I keep my clothes on, you think I look pretty good. <laughs> it's mindset. So in order to shift anything in your life, you have to shift your thinking. But you can't shift your thinking until you know what you think. I know I should work out. I be excited when I work out. I sometimes put on my workout clothes so I can make it to the gym. Sometimes I wear them all day. I never make it to the gym. I know I should. But here's the competing interest for me. Remember I talked about competing interests? I got two competing interests. Number one, I like cake. I do. I like cake. I like everything sweet. I would, I would rather eat sweet than anything else. Like right now, if you would take me to the best dinner in the world, I just want to know what's the best dessert they have. I get that, right? And Pastor Ellen actually think I'm kind of cute wearing the way I am right now. So I don't have, like, it'd be different if I'd be like, do you think I should, do you think I should lose some weight? He'll never be like, no, I don't think you, he'd be like, you look fabulous to me. See? So I have a mindset that's different than their mindset. What's keeping you from going to the abundant life? What is it that you think about anger or depression or where you work or in your marriage that allows you to stay where you are? Because until, at least when you identify it, you can work on it. For the last two years, I've had a goal to work out. And both years, I have worked out longer than I have ever worked out before. So my goal is that if I keep working on it, eventually working out will become a lifestyle for me. But there are some things that have to happen in my mind every day in order to actually get me to the workout place. Well, I can't hang with other people who don't like to work out or I won't get there. I got to find and draw from the people who are motivated by working out. So it is with you, with your spiritual growth. How are you going to grow spiritually hanging with people who don't think it ever matters to read your Bible? Who don't think it matters whether you go to church or not? How are you going to build a better marriage when you hang with people who don't have good marriages? Do you know that when you go out with your marriage friend, married friends, every marriage session, every marriage dinner should not turn into a counseling session? Sometimes you all just be to go out with your friends and have a good time. And if you are the couple that everybody is coming to, you may be helping them, but your marriage isn't getting better. You got to find people. Does that make sense? So now we've talked about this. So most people don't change until they associate more pain with staying the same than they do with change. So here's the question I want to ask you about the thing that you said that God gave you that you need to change. Here's what you need to think about. What will you lose if you don't change? Because I'm trying to help you associate pain. One of the things that's helped me eat less sweets over the years is that as much as I love sugar, I will not ever be on insulin. And that is the cutoff for me. I will never be diabetic. So I'm like, at the end of the day, I could eat all this cake. I'm going to let this cake go because I will not be a diabetic. That's my cutoff. That is my pain. It would be more painful for me to have to stick myself with a needle every day than it is to walk the cake away. What do you lose if you don't change? My family had us a history of diabetes. What I was going to lose was the freedom to move about where, where I wanted to move, how I wanted to move. I like cake, but it ain't worth everything. What do you lose? Because you have to associate pain with what you're trying to leave behind. Does that make sense? You have to associate pain. Listen, nobody stays out of the world who thinks the world was amazing. 
And you can always tell when people are about to backslide and go back to the world because they start talking about how good it was. They be like, when I was in the world, I was really kicking it. When you was in the world, you was getting your heart broke all the time. Let me remind you, because I met you when you came. That's why you came to the Lord, right? So now, not only what do you lose if you don't change, what do you gain if you do? What do you gain if you change? So you focus on what you gain. What these people said that they gain when they work out is they gain closeness with God. They gain feeling good about themselves. They gain the ability to relax. They gain the ability to test their limits. And the things that they gain outweigh what they think they lose. What do you gain if you change? Well, here's the thing as a believer, the thing that God asks you to change, you gain more abundant life. That's what you're going to gain. You gain greater peace. That's what you're going to gain. We're almost done. We're almost done. Y'all learn anything? Seeing how you can be different? Because this is the work. Because in the church sometimes what we want to do is we want to just bring people to the altar. Listen, hear me. You can have a supernatural encounter at the altar. You can have a supernatural encounter with God that takes away the smoke, takes away the taste of cigarette, takes away the taste of whatever, takes away the addiction, takes away depression. But if you go back to the same behavior, you will be in bondage again. If you get supernaturally delivered from drugs and you go back and sit with your friends who do drugs, it may take a day and it may take two years, but eventually you will go back because your environment is going to work on you. So you cannot believe that coming to church is supernatural. It's just about somebody else laying hands on you and praying for you. What is my responsibility to maintain my freedom? I have a responsibility to maintain my freedom. Amen? Say, I have a responsibility to maintain my freedom. So what am I going to lose if I don't change? And what, if I'm, what am I going to gain if I don't change? If I change. What am I going to gain if I change? Chris, you mind sharing? Do you mind sharing? Is there something you can share? What, stand up. Come up. What's the thing you need to change? My attitude. My attitude, yes. What are you going to lose if you don't change? Uh, friends, people around me. Don't want to be around me. And what are you going to gain if you change? Uh, uh, what'd you say? Yeah, more relationships, people want to be around me. Okay, so, no, no. So what I'm going to point out to you, I knew I could pick on her and I knew she wouldn't care. Do you notice how quickly she could say what she was going to lose, but how long it took her to say what she was going to gain? She doesn't have a compelling reason yet. She knows she should, but she's not fully persuaded yet. And that's, um, you, you got to be able to measure yourself in these areas. I know I should be better. Right, right, right. Let's go, because we'll keep going. Chris, why do you have an attitude problem? Protecting myself. Because I protect myself with my attitude. Anybody protect themselves with their bad attitude? Anybody protect themselves with anger? <laughs> Anybody protect themselves with anger? So here's the competing belief. It doesn't matter how many times she reads that love is patient and love is kind. As long as she sees her attitude is the way that she protects herself in a pressure situation, what's going to come up is her attitude. Can you see that about yourself? Come on and give her a hand clap. Give her a hand clap for sharing. So let's keep going then. But what's the cost of protecting yourself? What's the cost of protecting yourself? How, how many of you have been become really good at protecting yourself with anger and attitude? Lift your hand. What's the cost of that? Even if they don't leave your life, you lose intimacy with them. Because you cannot have intimacy with someone who feels like they constantly have to defend against you. So you want to be in intimate relationships, but your anger is how you protect yourself. So then when you feel vulnerable, you strike out in anger, but you really want intimacy. You see how you're fighting against yourself? You see how you're a double-minded man who's unstable in all your ways? 
So when, now, now what do I do with that? God, why do I believe anger is how I protect myself? Where did that come from? What's the thinking around that? Some of you can go back. You'll be like, when I was a little kid, as long as I tried to be nice, people ran over me. I went off and cussed them kids out that day on the bus. And I ain't never, ain't no, I ain't never had a problem no more. Some of you say it. I've talked to you. You say stuff like this because here's what people understand. A good cussing. If you cuss them, they understand that. So now here you are in a situation where you want the best life that God has for you, but you have a mindset that contradicts what God says. Because it ain't no scripture to tell to cuss people. It ain't one. It's not, it ain't no scripture to tell you it's okay to cuss people. It's not. But as long as you are connected to that, does that make sense? As long as you're connected to that then you can't get free. So then that's where the think change in your thinking has to come in play. Okay, God, I need to uproot this thing. Some of you, you don't, some of you, you don't, you don't get angry. You, you use a different tactic. You cry when people talk to you. So then you don't have to have crucial conversations because you learned early that if you look weak and pitiful and you started crying, that people would focus on your tears and then they wouldn't talk to you about how the fact that you need to change. So you appear like you really, really sweet, but you really just crying so you don't have to talk about it. Because you learned early that if you cry, especially if you cry hard enough and you start acting like you can't breathe and stuff. If you start acting like you, <laughs> then what people do is they get distracted. And you, but what you need somebody in your life to say, get yourself together, go ahead, get some tissue. I don't, I don't care nothing about them tears. We're going to have this conversation. Five minutes. Five minutes. You have five minutes to get yourself together. Some of you shut down and you don't talk. You want intimate relationships, but you punish people by taking away your words and your affection. You get upset with people. Somebody injures you. You don't have a conversation. You don't say, when you did this, it hurt my feelings. I'm disappointed. I, you just stop talking. You just don't talk to people. And so people are saying to you, um, Edwin, are you okay? Now you got the spirit of mute on your life. <laughs> Wondering why you can't have intimate relationships. Oh, no, 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 because everybody doesn't have a relationship problem. But you want to be amazing at your job. You're declaring things like, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath, right? That's what you're saying, right? Until somebody gives you feedback, and every bit of feedback you get hurts your feelings. Every day against you. They say to you, they say, here's how we need the presentation done. They against me. They don't want me to succeed because I'm a woman. They don't want me to succeed because I'm black. No, they're saying this is the way we do the presentation. And the challenge for a lot of you is because you've been good at a lot of things in your life, you've never learned to take criticism. And so now every bit of criticism is attack against you. Because I'm trying to help you because if God told you, you're not going to get to be the CEO of a company if can't nobody give you feedback. And you're never going to have a healthy relationship if nobody can give you feedback. You cannot be successful if you can't take feedback and you got to learn what feedback does to you. And that's the reason that a lot of people can be successful in church until somebody has to correct them. And then when somebody has to correct you, they don't like me. I ain't going to church over here. I'm going to go to a church where the folks ain't in my business. I'm going to go to a church where the folks not in my business so my life can blow up. Because I don't want nobody, because I don't need nobody to tell me nothing because I'm grown. Until it blow up. Some of you got people like that in your family. They ask to borrow money. But if you ask them what they're going to do with it, they get in their feelings. Like, like this, like the bank. You don't just get to go to the bank and be like, I need $10 million, no question asked. No, that's not how this works. This my $100 you need. Because then they'd have to deal with the fact that the reason that they need money every month is because they don't manage well. So I'm telling you, you got to deal with those things, all right? We're going to get some steps and we're going to be done. All right. This is good stuff. I don't know if y'all like this stuff, but I like this stuff. Oh, well, oh, yes, I'm sorry. My bad. We got to do this experience because I want you to see this. So what you focus on is always going to determine what you get. We, we did, but now we want to do an illustration. What I want you to do is I want you to look around the room, and I want you to identify everything in this room that's brown. Just look around the room, everything that's brown. Focus on everything that's brown. Count the brown items, everything that's brown. Even the brown people, if you want, all the brown. 
All the brown. Look at the brown. When you found the brown, found the brown, close your eyes. That means really close your eyes. That means put your hand over your eyes. I'm going to train y'all how to close y'all eyes up in this church. Close your eyes. Now I want you to tell me everything in here that's red. You can, open, you can open your eyes now. Could you see more brown than red? Why could you see more brown than red? Because it's what you set your attention on. And if you set your attention on what you lose, you can't see what you gain. And if you set your attention on what you think God is taking, you can't see what God is giving. And if you set your attention on the criticism is against you, you can't see what, how you would grow from it. And so it's very important to look at what you're focused on. Look at what you're focused on. Look at what's coming out of your mouth. Maybe some people are against you, but everybody's not against you. And even if they're all against you, the Bible says greater is he that's on the inside of you than he that's in the world. So why you spend so much time talking about them? All right. Let's do these. Here's some things. Some things you need to do. How are you going to change? Here are the practical part. Number one, we already did this. You have to acknowledge that a change needs to occur. How many of you have acknowledged that a change needs to occur? Need, you've acknowledged that a change. Number two, after you acknowledge that a change needs to occur, you need to do this one simple thing. You need to upgrade your standards of you. You need to upgrade your standards of you. You will never stop cursing until you decide cursing is beneath you. You will never eat better until you decide eating better is your standard. You will never treat your spouse better until you decide that the standard that you have is too low and it must increase. You will never read your Bible more or come to church more or give more until you upgrade your standards. I know that B said she was going to upgrade J, but really in your life, you got to upgrade you. Beyonce, you, you don't, nobody can upgrade you. You got to upgrade yourself. You have to decide what will you know. So think about this. What will you no longer tolerate from you? What will you no longer tolerate from you? Not what you'll no longer tolerate from them. We all good at what we no longer go tolerate from them. Except we don't realize that sometimes what we're doing is why we're getting what we're getting from them. You married, you want more romance in your relationship, what you go do? You want more passion, what you go do? You sitting around waiting on somebody to create passion. What's wrong with you? You can't create passion? You want to have a better relationship in your family. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to grow? What are you going to do to contribute more in your job? Upgrade your standards. Set a standard. Your standard for living should never be based on what other people decide. I was, we were talking to Taylor the other day, and we were saying, here's how you're successful in life. Always require more of yourself than anybody else requires of you. Anybody who is successful in any area of their life, they have decided to require more of themselves than anybody else requires of them. I've worked out with Jimmy before. When I work out with Jimmy, Jimmy don't care what the rest of us do. Jimmy over there doing 200 push-ups, we do three. We do three. He be talking to us while he doing his push-ups. Come on, you got more in you. We like, no, really, this is this all we got. He don't stop. He doesn't say, well, since all you can do is three, I'm going to stop with you. He goes, my standard is 200. When Chris is worshiping, her standard is I'm going to lift my hands. I don't care whether y'all open y'all mouth or not. I'm going to say God is great. I don't care what you do because that's my standard for me. What's your standard? Upgrade it. If it's not getting you what you need, upgrade it. I've tried talking to them and they don't listen. Upgrade how you communicate. You want to be a better communicator? How many books have you read on communication? People want better marriages. I'm amazed by the people who want better marriages. You don't go to marriage conferences. You don't read marriage books. You don't hang with people with happy marriages and you say, I don't know why the devil doing this to me. No, your thinking is bad and so you keep recreating this. 
I'm a single woman. I'm a single guy. I want a good relationship. Why would I be hanging with a bunch of people who don't have good relationships? I'm going to be talking to people with good relationships about how they got good relationships. When I meet a guy, when I meet a girl, I'm not going to bring them around my single friends. I'm going to bring them around people who are married and successful so they can say, be like, text them, be like, I'm on my way with Joe. Tell me what y'all think about Joe. Why? Because I'm going to surround myself. I'm going to upgrade my standards. Remember, the goal is not to be better than others. It's to be who God called you to be. After I upgrade my standards, I'm going to eliminate the limiting beliefs. What's the limiting belief? I don't have to be angry to protect myself. The limiting belief is that I think I have to be angry, and so because I think I have to be angry, I respond in anger. But that's not true. I don't have to be angry to protect myself. Maybe I need to stop seeing the people in my life as my enemies. Because if I stop seeing them as my enemies, then I don't have to use weapons against them. You only need weapons against your enemies. You don't need weapons against your friends. So if you're using anger, you're seeing people as your enemies when they're really on your team. If they're not really on your team, then you need some new people on your team that you don't need to have weapons with. You got to get rid of the limiting beliefs. How are your limiting beliefs impacting you on your job? What are you thinking? The things that you're thinking about your work environment, did God tell you that? Or did they say that? Because your life ought to be moved by what God said, right? And then the last one is implement effective strategies. So we're going to implement effective strategies. So I'm going to use myself for this one. Years ago, say years ago. Like years, years ago. Because you always got to say years ago because the people go out and say, this is what the pastor's name doing, not what they used to do. <laughs> no, no, no. Years ago, years ago. Years ago, when, when, when Edwin and I got married, we didn't have tools to effectively resolve conflict. Like, our strategy for resolving conflict was like, let's blow it up. Like, how much can we tear up in this process? So, I mean, we just, we didn't. We would get into an argument, and a simple argument could, like, escalate to World War Z real quick because we didn't have those skills. So some of you have heard me tell this story before. So I met a lady named Sister King. Sister King says to me, she's talking to me about my marriage, and she says to me, she says, the next time that Edwin starts yelling at you, just don't say anything. She's trying to give me an effective strategy. I'm like, why in the world would you not say anything when somebody is yelling at you? She's trying to give me an effective strategy as a person who doesn't have that conflict in her relationship, right? And then she said this to us. She said, and don't curse him either. How do you curse somebody? And how do you have an argument and don't curse somebody? Like that? I mean, like, I didn't even understand that. Like, it is like we arguing. The whole purpose is to talk back to each other. That's why you argue. Anyway, so Edwin and I would argue. She would give me feedback. I would implement her feedback. What I didn't realize that she was doing was changing my strategies. She was saying, here's how you resolve conflict. Here's what you do when you're in trouble. Here's what you do when you're angry. When you feel yourself about to, to say something, shut up. Some of you got the Holy Ghost who you're in conflict. He says to you, anybody ever heard this word? Stop talking. Anybody ever heard the Lord say, that quiet voice? Some of you don't know it's the Holy Ghost. Something told you. Y'all ever had a something tell you to stop talking? That is the Holy Ghost trying to help you. How many of you didn't stop talking? And then tell me what happened. Then you had to ask the Holy Ghost to help you fix what you could have fixed if you had just stopped talking, right? Because what you don't realize is that God wants to give you effective strategies. But here's the problem. If you see conflict and re re if you see removing yourself from conflict as weakness, you won't ever do it. If you see that as being vulnerable, you won't ever do it, so you'll be fighting against it. So what are the strategies you need to implement? What do you need to do in your workout? What do you need to do in your eating? Some of you, you, don't need, you, you may not be at a place that you can just change everything in your eating. Can you get rid of one thing? Can you replace two sodas with two cups of water? Can you start somewhere? Can you get to work on time four days this week instead of just one? Amen. Can, can you be on time for work? Four days since you believing for that promotion. Oh, man, we'll, we'll go for five next week, okay? 
Can you just do something for your spouse nice this week? Can you have a date night, a date coffee, a date ice cream? Can you do this? Can those of you who are in negative relationships with people you know you're not going to be able to build anything with, could you just put them on the do not respond list when you sitting in church? Could you just stop talking to them because you're bored and because you're lonely and because you need somebody? Could you just stop? Could you implement some strategies that will position you to have what God wants you to have? Amen? All right, I'm done. What? Oh, let's pray. Let's pray over this. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for the things that you've shown us. I thank you that you want to change our lives. I thank you that it doesn't matter how ugly whatever it is in our life that your desire is to change it, God. And I thank you that when we tell you the truth about what's in our heart, that you empower us to change it. Father God, I thank you for the grace that's on our lives to implement change, to just upgrade our standards, to just step up, to just implement new strategies and behaviors. And I thank you that as we do that, not only will our lives be changed, but the light in you will be seen in us and others will see it and their lives will be changed. And we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many are blessed by the word today?